Welcome to the first episode of Oots, or Out of the Studio, produced by GDC Manitoba. GDC is Canada's national certification body for graphic and communication designers, and this podcast is here to interview graphic designers and creatives from Manitoba and hopefully across Canada about their work, their lives, and what makes them excited about good design. My name is Leif Norman, and I'm here to ask a series of questions and hopefully stir the pot a bit. To start off this series, we have Robert L. Peters. Robert is a graphic designer and founder slash principal of the award-winning firm Circle, the design consultancy he directed for 38 years. He is also a former president of ICOGRADA, now ICOD, the International Council of Design, founding president of the Society of Graphic Designers of Canada, Manitoba chapter, a foreign feature correspondent for Communication Arts Magazine, former editor of the GDC Graphic Design Journal, and author of the book Worldwide Identity, published by Rockport. Robert has taught creative communications and design at Red River College and the University of Manitoba's School of Art as Chair of Graphic Design. He was the recipient of the Koopman Distinguished Chair in the Visual Arts from the Hartford School of Art, University of Hartford, and served as designer in residence in the Visual Communication Design Department, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Robert is a humanist and lifelong environmentalist. Though retired from design practice in 2014, he remains active internationally as a consultant and design strategist, policy advisor, writer, juror, and guest lecturer. He was raised and schooled in Germany, Switzerland, and England, and has traveled extensively to more than 60 countries. For 35 years, he has lived in a low-energy, passive solar house that he designed and built in the woods of eastern Manitoba. When not immersed in art, design, or activism, he enjoys nature, mountaineering, and human-powered outdoor activities. What would you have done if you weren't a graphic designer, a designer in general? Wow, that's, that's a good question. Uh, probably architecture. It wasn't really on my radar as a kid, um, but the idea of form giving, so starting with an idea and, and having form uh, be the end result. I think uh, something uh, that encompasses that uh, activity would have likely uh, occupied my my life. Form giving, I like that term. I'm not. Uh, I'm just a photographer, so I'm not in. Uh, well, it, it maybe sounds better in Dutch. Formgeven. Oh, is this a so to Europe? to give form? It's 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 a verb. So, what did the equivalent in? Uh, in uh, English be sort of like place making? Yeah, or make the idea of making, really making form. Okay. Yeah, giving form to. So you'd be interested in, uh, in architecture, would it be small scale or large scale? Well, probably alternative architecture because I'm so disappointed with a lot of uh, what exists. <laughs> disappointed with Trump Towers and how it looks? <laughs> um, I think a lot of architecture doesn't really serve human beings well. But it serves the photographer of the architecture I for think, the cover of a magazine? I think it serves the egos of architects. Yeah, I've heard that for sure. So you would be uh, working on a, a scale to, to serve humans? Well, as a humanitarian, I think that's a priority, yeah. Could you give me an example, a quick example of what type of building would fit into that uh, that you'd like to make? Well, more livable spaces, for example. Uh, in cities uh, really involving the commons... Uh, giving human beings access to, you know, fresh air and common spaces. Okay, so like a central park type of Yeah, space. And, and really if we look back to the time before modernism, architecture did a lot of things well. Oh, okay. 
before so modernism came in and well modernism um you know brought with it um a real concentration on form and the look of things and uh in many cases a diminishment of human scale uh, and uh, the experience of individuals who have to actually occupy the spaces that architects designed. I've heard uh, a critic uh, speaking about Winnipeg's new city hall like that, new as in you know, from the 1960s. That... The brutalist period of modern architecture. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, from a form standpoint, as a formal exercise, there's a lot to be said for modernism. And certainly in, in my profession, in graphic design, you know, we um, we drew a lot of vocabulary from modernism, and and it's not bad. So, does it work better in graphic design? This idea. Well, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good, good answer. <laughs> uh, how can you? Well, how how would it work, and how wouldn't it work? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a broader vocabulary, and so modernism certainly. Uh, brought a uh, a distillation, a stripping down, uh, a, um, a getting rid of excess filigree and and uh, ornamentation, perhaps that uh, can get in the way of the message. Okay. In communication design, communication is really important, and if you have too many curly cues and too many serifs, you know, that can be problematic. And hence the rise of Helvetica. Would you say? Well, Helvetica, or um, I mean, Helvetica was uh, a later uh, development of what were called grotesque faces. Grotesque because the feet were chopped off. Uh, you oh, know, is that why it was grotesque? That's from the Germanic. That's why it was referred to as grotesque. Because they chopped off the serifs. Yeah, Helvetica, interestingly enough, was developed in a little workshop in Münchenstein on the outskirts of Basel. And I was living in Basel at the time, and I was taking a streetcar to school every day past the uh, the actual uh, buildings uh, where Helvetica was being developed. I didn't uh, I didn't really realize that until I saw the movie Helvetica. Oh. And uh, they they showed the buildings, and it was like I saw that every day as a kid. Wow, you were witness to history right there. Well. <laughs> well, on a streetcar going by. On a streetcar going by. <laughs> uh, so, would you, uh, when you were eight years old and, and just dreaming and, and kicking around with all the other kids, did you were you thinking of form? Were you thinking of uh, architecture and design? Well, actually, that was my first encounter with um, with graphic design. Um, I was attending a private school in Basel, in Switzerland. And um, on the third floor of the building, uh, the old building that we would walk the stairs up, uh, was a graphiste uh, or a grafica. Um, and he had glass windows to the open stairwell. And I would stand, he would let me sit and watch him. And he had a drafting table with a, with a little shelf above the table. And I was fascinated by the cups of colored pens and markers and scalpels that he used. Uh, to uh, do his assemblage work on his drafting table. And I think that was, um, I, I remember consciously thinking, hey, if that's a profession, that's something that, that I might want to do. You were immediately attracted to the look and the tools. Yeah, and I guess the process of you know, starting with an idea and then making something. 
did you uh, play with Lego? Um, actually, I was um, when I was that age, Lego had not yet come on the scene, but but, but <laughs> what was around Lincoln Law? <laughs> Well, there were there were other uh, sort of form style blocks, but Lego really only developed uh, in the in the early 1960s. Oh, so, I didn't know that. I thought yeah. it was around longer than that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's cool. So, what do you think? What's a good indicator of, of a bad design? Of, of a, a bad you could you could talk to about uh, like two dimensional graphic design, or you could speak about what what is what makes for a bad placemaking. Well, I guess you almost have to get into a definition of design. And I've struggled with a lot of them uh, through my life. And the one that uh, still resonates for me is that design is the application of intent. So bad design would be design that does not fulfill its intention. And that could be through uh, inappropriateness to a context. Um, irrelevance to an audience, um, or perhaps um, an undue uh, amount of attention given to form rather than to function. Okay, so it's, it, it looks good, it's, it's showy, it's dazzly, but it doesn't really serve the purpose of the humans which are trying to engage with it, is what you're saying. Yeah, and in, in our field, in, in visual communication design, we really take a look primarily at three things. Uh, so identity um, and uh, information and communication. And so design can sort of be sorted into one or two of those in most cases. So identity nowadays referred to as branding. See, what is something named? How is it clothed? You know, what, uh, what feeling uh, do you um, encounter? when you are faced with uh, a brand or an identity. Information is really the conveyance of uh, a thought unit uh, or of data from you know one source to another. And communication, um, it's more of a back and forth. It's more of a conversation. So in design, uh, depending on what your intention is, you will shape uh, your your work in such a way to engage an audience, which means you need to be taking their vocabulary into into account. Um, if they are colorblind, using bright colors, you really will miss the mark. Um, if they're not literate, uh, then perhaps you know using uh, shapes you know, rather than letter forms is a way of conveying that. There's some great examples, uh, you know, throughout history. Elizitsky's famous, you know, poster of the Red Wedge. Uh, in Russian constructivism. Mm -hmm. Much of the population that the Bolsheviks were talking to were not literate, but they could understand a red triangle and the dynamism of that, you know, yeah. you used in a poster. I understand. I'm, I'm blathering on and on. No, no, no. So. The, uh, some graphic design, some very ultra-modern graphic design that I've seen, uh, seems to sort of be consciously turning that on its head where they use fonts which are uh, deliberately difficult to use or they, they scratch things. Uh, the fonts are uh, uh, very small or, or people are sort of seem to be uh, maybe rebelling against that. It seems a bit of, bit of punkiness going on with the design of some uh, modern magazines and stuff where they're making it tough on purpose for the audience member. I mean, what do you feel about that? You're referring to David Carson 25 years ago? 
If I was educated, then yes, I would. <laughs> well, I think there's, you know, there's always, uh, it's always exciting to try and undermine uh, the existing norms in that regard and not communicating uh, intentionally um, could also be seen as effective. So there's an attitude. But that's the intention. If you understand the oh, intention. certainly, certainly. So, um, you know, uh, Carson's early work, uh, magazines in surf culture, the idea was that if you don't get it, if you're not part of that in crowd, if you actually have to read the words, you're not cool. Right. Um, it's like modern graffiti culture, too. Yeah, and, and uh, absolutely. So it's codified, you know, to an audience, and it's codified to actually exclude those who are looking for um, you know, readily digestible information, for example. Okay. Who would you list as some of your uh, major inspirations uh, through the years? You know, that's tough. Um, certainly from all walks of life. Um, I would say Buckminster Fuller was a big influence on me. Um, the, um, you know, the fact that he was legally blind as a child his parents thought that he was um, socially and developmentally challenged and didn't realize until he was three years old that it was the fact that the lenses hadn't properly formed in his eyes. So uh, when they got him some thick glasses and suddenly he was holding, you know, flowers uh, out in the meadow up against his eyes and, and, you know, he could see the inner workings of things. I mean, that changed his life. So I mean, we know him as the designer of the geodesic dome, for example. That's a structure that he uh, attributes being able to see the inside of a dandelion, you know, by holding it, you know, very close to his eyes, you know, as a as a young child. So I think sometimes it takes it takes people who um, don't make assumptions and who see things from a new place to uh, to change the paradigm for others. That's true. Um, certainly, uh, there are a lot of, um, you know, exemplary uh, humanists who have spent their lives uh, making the lives of others better. You know, we could go on and on. I, I think it's important, though, to draw f inspiration from folks outside of your own profession, outside of your own field. Absolutely. So what interests you uh, on a day-to-day -day basis that has nothing to do uh, with design or... Uh, practices or your curiosity about uh, ultra-efficient uh, buildings and things like that. Do you play bass? Do I play bass? I don't play bass. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm not a great musician. I had opportunities to learn uh, as, as a child, but I was always more visual uh, than, uh, than audio-based. Um, I, um, I love nature. I've had the opportunity of living in nature for much of my life. Uh, it's an undying source of inspiration. Uh, and the further you look, you know, the more you see in that regard. I think that's one thing we have in Canada. Uh, even in urban populations, Canadians have access to, uh, to nature uh, if, if they choose to. Are you a bird watcher? Oh, very much so. Yeah, you yeah. track them? Well, I don't make lists, but... Okay. Uh, <laughs> But I like being able to identify, you know, at any given minute, you know, what a, a bird flying by is or, you know, what the sound is. And, and um, yeah, that's fun. 
Um, but also in terms of color, um, you know, designers, graphic designers are very much, um, are very sensitive to, uh, to light as are photographers. And taking a look at color temperature and the way the same subject matter changes, you know, from dawn, you know, through the morning hours, high noon, you know, in the afternoon, a bit of haze comes in, mm-hmm. you know, the world turns into this big light box. You know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, nature is, is constantly sharing with us if we're open to it. Yeah, I noticed uh, today and yesterday the, the light, uh, there's been, been some smoke in the air and the light is, is fantastic. It's this surreal feeling. Yeah, there's a modeling. There's a modeling of, uh, of anything three-dimensional. Yeah. yeah. Are you a good cook? I love cooking, in part because I have some food allergies, so I tend to, you know, do everything from scratch. You specialize. Yeah. Um, gardening. Gardening is a lot of fun. Being able to, uh, you know, plant something, nurture it, harvest it. It's very gratifying. Mm-hmm. I think it brings us close to the, the cycles of life that, uh, that we've long held as human animals. Mm-hmm. What books would, would you recommend people would read, should read? Oh, less what than, uh, than just read. I read, I read dictionaries when I was a child. Me too. I have a large collection of dictionaries. <laughs> Me too. I love isn't dictionaries. That, isn't that great? I, I try to find the oldest and thickest. I've got a, one that's about 10 inches thick. I love it. Cool. <laughs> I love derivations of words. Absolutely. Finding the history of them. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, um, Finding books in odd places uh, and being willing just to engage is really important. I, um, we used to go to a used bookstore. We didn't have a lot of money you know, growing up. Uh, I was living in, in Basel in Switzerland, and uh, there was a Sur- Salvation Army store that sold used books. And I remember when I was 11 years old, I uh, picked up a copy of uh, Das Kapital by Karl Marx in German. And, uh, and that book really changed my life. And wow. uh, it, um, um, it showed me that there are uh, non-commercial ways, you know, of, of living and different value sets. Uh, so many different fields. Um, there's, there's a great uh, bookstore within uh, a block of where we are right now, Red River Books. Oh, yeah, I love that place. And, and you know, you can go into the dusty corners and you can find serendipity there. Um, and certainly for designers, uh, for people who are finding mental blocks at some point, you know, just go in, clear your mind, and spend an hour in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. And you'll come out with so many different directions to explore. Yeah, I like looking at uh, old uh, album record covers, the vinyl record covers throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Some of them are just incredible. Yeah. Especially the, the jazz ones seems to, seem to be very interesting in the 60s yeah. and 70s. They were using... Uh, really big blocky fonts, really interesting uh, graphic designs. Yeah, there's there's so much inspiration. And, uh, you know, your feet, I mean, your feet were the original search engine. <laughs> That's a good, there's a quote. <laughs> so, so just, you know, just keep moving. That's true. You'll, and, and be open. You'll, you'll encounter inspiration everywhere. So is that what you do to, to stay uh, creative? Is you still poke around in dusty corners? I do. I do. I have an old VW van, and we travel across the country in it. And, oh, wow. And uh, you end up in cul-de-sacs and dead ends that are fascinating. 
and and you know you engage with people that you would never otherwise meet and the next thing you know it you have good friends that have introduced you to a field that you've never even heard of before yeah i mean li life is wonderful yeah i like so. traveling across canada and finding all those little weird little places uh, i always go into like flea markets and used I'm a bit of a pack rat, uh, so I like to buy ugly coffee mugs. I have a collection of ugly, <laughs> I try to find the ugliest designed coffee mugs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there, there are so many bits and pieces left over from the uh, very abundant society that we live in. Yeah, it's just strewn all over the place. Yeah, my, my partner is a ceramic sculptress. Oh. and uh, we collaborate a lot together, and uh, so we, we go garage sailing, which we refer to as the new contact sport. <laughs> and, and um, you know, you, you'll find part of something that used to function, mm -hmm. but that can be repurposed into an assemblage, you know, piece of sculpture. Um, and, and that piece will never be made again because it would be labor intensive and because it's made of bronze. And, yeah. and you know, bronze casting, you know, is no longer, you know, readily accessible. Yeah. And so, you know, finding a value in things that others discard, keeping things out of the landfill, yeah. that can be a lot of fun too. Yeah. So we haven't even uh, touched upon the fact that uh, uh, 35 years ago you uh, built, you designed and built uh, an entire... Uh, high efficiency uh, home. Would you like? I think I think you were what twenty five or twenty six years old when you even started that endeavor. Yeah, a little younger. Yeah. <laughs> I was very very ambitious. Did you want to uh, speak to that a little bit? Well, I came I came to Canada in uh, nineteen seventy three, and it was uh, during um, the first of what was called uh, the energy crises of the nineteen seventies. Um, and um, oil use and geopolitics were very closely tied together. And, um, and when I saw how the consumption of uh, fossil fuels and strife was connected as a pacifist, I, I felt compelled to try to find alternative solutions. When I came to Canada, uh, to Manitoba here, I was impressed by the amount of sunshine so many days are full-on sun and people didn't seem to be taking advantage of that. I was also impressed by how cold it is in wintertime. <laughs> and so putting those two things together, the abundance of sunshine and um, you know, good insulation to, you know, to keep the heat that you're generating, just seemed to make sense. And, uh, and there was, the, there was a, a, a group of folks uh, across the prairies that were getting involved in that. The Solar Energy Society, I became a member of that, and, and you hang out with other energy nerds you know, that share information with each other. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty exciting. And, and there were quite a few of us who you know, acted on our dreams and who built um, very uh, low energy, passive uh, solar sustainable buildings at the time. But the world changed, um, and the world changed um, largely because of politics. And it was really Ronald Reagan in the U.S. and, and Margaret Thatcher in the U.K. That, um, that undermined much of the progress that was coming out of the idealism that, uh, that folks had in the 60s, I'd say. It's encouraging to see a return to that now, but, but you know, unfortunate that in the meantime, 
uh, you know, three or four decades have passed, and yeah. the world now finds itself you know, much closer to a crisis situation. Yeah. So, uh, like a normal house, the insulation. What are the R values of R twenty or R thirty or something? Is what a normal house would be in the walls of the. Well, at the time it was R twelve in uh, in Western Canada, and so I decided to build walls that were R sixty. So. That's five five times the uh, the wall thickness in equivalent, but the idea was, um, you know, why heat the great outdoors? You know, keep the heat that you're generating, um, you know, through pleasurable friction, through, uh, you know, wood wood that you're chopping and putting on a stove, you know, etc. The name of your biography is pleasurable friction. Well, you know, there's you can be efficient. <laughs> regardless of how you're generating heat inside your house. So. That's true. So how do you think the next 10 years or, or 10 or 15 years are, are shaping up for the, uh, the efficiency uh, community? Uh, or maybe you, you could talk about the, the next 10 or 15 years of the, um, what do you think the future holds for design in general? Probably two different questions. Yeah. Um, I think there is a growing awareness uh, of the need for real action when it comes to environment and ecology. Um, and uh, even though there are still a lot of uh, deniers of science, uh, I, think, uh, I think we've turned that corner. In terms of graphic design, uh, visual communication, um, what does the future hold? What's the next big thing? I get asked that a lot. Um, I have a one-word answer for that, uh, discernment. Mm. So it used to be, you know, what will be the new thing? What can you make? What can you do? And I think we've reached the point where with the applications and the tools that we have, you can now do anything. And the question now switches over to why. Why would you? Yeah. Or why should you? Yeah. And I think the, uh, the perspective, the knowledge, uh, the discernment to answer that question is going to be the big thing. Yeah, because there's so many tools in the toolbox. It's, it's like when I first was teaching myself about Photoshop, it's amazing, you know, like the top of my head blew off mm. because I could see so many opportunities, so many infinite choices to make. Mm. But then you get overwhelmed in your own uh, decision-making, right? So discernment comes out of that because I was applying all these ridiculous filters and making my photos look completely over the top and wacky but it was fun and new to me I was using every possible crayon in the box and so then I over the years I've pared it down pared it down so that now I, I use it much more carefully one of the great lessons of modernism was that less is more and um, and we live in a world that has too much noise uh, too much visual clutter uh, and simply too much of everything. So I think a, uh, a distillation, a simplification, a stripping back of the unnecessary, I think those really are the skill sets uh, that are going to serve uh, any profession involved in giving form well as we move forward. That sounds, that sounds good. How do, you, how do you find balance in your uh, personal and, and, and uh, business life? You're sort of living out in this beautiful, <laughs> idyllic landscape, so maybe that question doesn't fully apply to you. It sounds like you found perfect balance. Well, it depends. I, I think that changes throughout life as well. I used to work very, very hard, and I used to play hard. 
So what I found as an antidote for design was climbing. So uh, taking up rock climbing, where you, uh, you move into a vertical plane instead of the horizontal, everything changes. Uh, I was al always a very visual person as well. And so learning about the tactile and learning how to feel and read with your fingers. And if you only have you know, a few millimeters of purchase on something, and to really be able to sense, you know, will that hold you up? Uh, it's, it's a completely different set of, um, uh, of skills and sensibilities that you use, and your mind is engaged in different ways. So for a good chunk of my life, um, you know, working hard during the week and then climbing hard on the weekends, you know, that was a, a great way to find balance. Um, and I think, I think many people find that, whether it's, you know, in running or, you know, kind of finding, um, uh, finding something through their uh, physicality that counterbalances their cerebral processes. Yeah, makes sense. Do you have any, uh, particular words of wisdom for, say, say, pretend I'm a young uh, designer just starting out, what would you say to me? Well, um, care about others, love a lot, um, make your world a better place, um, and you can do that through the projects you choose to take on, through the skill sets you decide to learn, uh, and through the way you, um, you exercise whatever talents you've been given. Well, we've covered a lot of different uh, topics here, and I've, I've uh, given you a lot of different questions. Is there any particular question that you wish I had asked about you? Uh, no, you've asked plenty. <laughs> is, that, is that code for that's about uh, that's about enough? <laughs> no, no, it's, it, it's cool. You uh, you got me a nice uh, glass of water here, and uh, I'm not suffering. So I do have one one last question. Um, uh, what what type of music do you listen to? Oh, uh, a real smorgasbord. So everything from classical, jazz, rock, hip-hop, um, a wide, wide range. Wide, wide range. Yeah. So your record collection is, uh, is all over the place. Well, I actually gave up my record collection, but uh, I, I do use iTunes. Yeah, iTunes is pretty handy. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's very convenient having having a laptop and having you know a world at your fingertips. So mm -hmm. you hear something, you Google it, uh, and uh, and suddenly you're off listening to a two-hour concert of a genre and an artist that you've never heard of. What a wonderful time to be alive! Yeah, you can just explore the the nether regions of like German hip hop and Japanese <laughs> punk metal and it's, yeah it's fantastic one so, thing leads to the next yeah it's a it's an exciting time all right thank you very much for uh, joining us today Robert Peters and uh, that's it no worries thanks Leaf this has been a production of GDC Manitoba Andrew Boardman Evan Coos and me Leaf Norman thanks for listening.